It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest on New York's news and talk station 77 WABC. streets of Queens, where I was out in Bayside, Bayside Terrace, uh, helping Vicky Palladino's campaign today, first day of uh, voting, uh, early voting. Uh, she's running against the veteran Tony Avella. That'll be a heavyweight championship battle. They both know how to run races. Uh, and then I was down in Creedmoor, uh, getting out of the vote for Bernard Chow. He's a rookie against Linda Lee, the Democrat. She is basically... Uh, uh, I'd say play prevent defense. Didn't take a position against the tent and the uh, migrants in Creedmoors. Basically, stayed under the radar screen. So that that's a flushing district that that goes all the way out into fresh, like fr- the edge of Fresh Meadows. Is that uh, what that is? Almost uh, to the border of Nassau County, uh, New Hyde Park, that whole area there, and everything uh, as you go west from there. But. And the next stop is Nassau County. Are they both Chinese or one of them Korean? No, uh, the. Uh, the uh, v- Vicky Palladino area is Whitestone, Bayside, right. Flushing, and College Point. But so they, they're, they're, the two people running in, Cre- in the Creedmoor area are both from the Flushing district. A right? lot of a uh, lot of uh, first generation immigrants, all different types. I mean, you've got Koreans, you've got I Chinese. I mean, Flushing is amazing. It is. I mean, they, they become much as you know. Like, frankly, your race started to show it. You've got the old the old line Chinese Flushing, yes. and then more recently the 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 Korean. Uh, have have come into flushing, and there's been a real a real battle between the Korean and Chinese communities there. Who's going to be the, the next power? So you were out there for for your Republican lanceman. You're feeling pretty confident this year. Uh, no, because nobody knows what to expect. Nobody knows it's a city council election. Uh, so there is an opportunity to win seats. I think the real bruising battle is taking place uh, over where last weekend the whole world was watching when the Palestinian pro Palestinian march. Uh, ended up being blocked by the police in what you call a horseshoe blockade. They were on 5th Avenue and 72nd Street in the heart of Bay Ridge, which has been an Arabic-speaking community before World War One. It's the oldest uh, in the northeast sector of, of the United States. But a lot of Coptic Christian Egyptians there, too. It's a fascinating yeah, community. And, yeah. Syrians and, right, and Syrians. But mostly Muslims and easy for them to turn out thousands because all they got to do is come out of their homes and they wanted to make their way on Saturday night to 3rd Avenue where all the Irish gin mills were up and running with weather like this. And the cops at the 6A precinct and what they call SRG, Strategic uh, Rapid uh, Group, whatever they call themselves, 
said, we got to block them here. Because <laughs> if they go to Third Avenue, the, the Irish are already out in the streets because their bars get packed early. And there would have been fights. Because remember, um, the Irish are there. They will be like half in the bag by about 8 o'clock. Uh, some American flags uh, were being desecrated along with Israeli flags so that you could just imagine. I don't think they would have had enough cops to keep things in order. But today's focus is down in Crown Heights where you had a demonstration two weekends ago. And they do it very brilliantly, the pro-Palestinian uh, do- uh, demonstrations. They always have Jews take uh, the center stage whether it's Jews for Palestinians, Jews for justice. Occasionally you see a Jews for Hamas sign. But they allow Jews to basically dominate in terms of being the organizers, the speakers. You see, like, a young man will have a prayer shawl on, and you'll say, like yesterday, I was out in Huntington at the two-man show, brilliantly done by Bill O'Reilly and Sid Rosenberg. All the WABC listeners, right, right there on New York Avenue, they didn't speak any politics. It was all about them. Uh, they were both born in Brooklyn. Bill O'Reilly moved out early with his family to Levittown in uh, in Long Island, and Sid obviously grew up in Brooklyn. By the time I left, which was about three quarters uh, through, because I had to get back here to do the uh, from uh, twelve midnight to six, it was all about themselves, their backgrounds. People were feeling okay. so good, but even people were asking me in the St. Curtis. When I watch these demonstrations, I see these young Jewish boys and girls, well-spoken, well-educated. They seem to be the leaders of demonstrations against Israel. What's going on? Now, remember, it's mostly a Gentile audience. So I think the optics, uh, the pro-Palestinian groups are seizing the advantage of what I call technology. It's like, it's like video technology. You see young Jewish men and women in the front. You see signs that say Jews for Palestinians. And then you get confused because you say, well, the Jews don't even agree with what's going on. And that's why Gentiles, I think, they take a step back. They figure, hey, this is tribal. We don't really have a role in this. You know, we like Israel, but we're not going to, we're not getting out into the streets. No, no, no. Leave it to them. I I think you're exactly right. And another thing that happens is, you know, you see this polling. Do you favor a ceasefire? Well, everyone wants things to cease firing. Everyone wants. Until you start to realize all that really means is, well, I, you know, there was the U.N. resolution that was passed calling for a ceasefire that doesn't even mention Hamas, for example. Like, But you're right. Look, there is a, a liberal, capital L, tradition in the Jewish community. There always is. It, it's the same tradition that exists in Israel. Israel is a socialist country that, that, you know, the whole notion of the kibbutzim is the idea of socialism and everything else. But I think that's definitely happened. You do see a lot of young lefty types that look Jewish, but I, I haven't seen any Jews for Hamas posters. But, but I, I think that is that is what's going on. But it doesn't. You can't deny the fact that, and you said this last week, and you've been saying it on the radio all week, the rallies of the pro-Palestinian, pro-Hamas folks, they look pretty muscular. They look pretty big. There's a, these are big and crowds. They're young. they're young, and they're young, and they're and young. So, like last night, brilliantly engineered. It's rush hour. They take over Grand Central Terminal, including the new link out to the Long Island Railroad that was such a waste. It's like a mausoleum. I don't know why I they took, took over. It, I took it yesterday. Right. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why they even bothered <sighs> taking over that part of it. Nobody takes it. But the point being is they shut everything down in Grand Central. They all wore black shirts. I think it said Jews against violence or something like that. 
Uh, and it was mostly, uh, you know, people who were self-describing themselves as Jewish. Uh, you didn't really see what looked like hardcore Arabic folks, you know, with the shmatas on their heads with the kafir. And that can be very confusing to somebody just passing by saying, well, they're, they're, they're for Israel. No, no, they're not there for Israel. <laughs> so, I know, but it is pretty amazing, though. The polls nationally and ever overwhelmingly support Israel. It really is. I mean, uh, yes, we, we do have the bigger because most of these most of the people that matter, the adults in the room, so to speak, the people that take the time to learn a little bit about this, the people that make policy are supporting Israel. But it does really look the optics. And, and I, I did my podcast, The Middle Unplugged, about this. If I stopped a, a young person who had a poster of a free, I think it said free Palestine. And I asked her, I said, uh, free from who? I said, from the, is, from Israel. I said, should they be free from Hamas also? She says, no, Hamas. Like basically, she, her instinct was to defend Hamas. And I said, by the way, where do you mean when you say Palestine? What do you, what do you? I said, and river from the sea, all that kind of stuff. I mean, these kids don't know what they're doing, but I get it that they think as liberal young people, they're in favor of the underdog, which they think it's the Palestinians when it's not, and they're in favor of the oppressed. They think it's the Palestinians. They don't have any any sensibility that the terrorism is is making it worse for them. And we're there we're using we're losing this debate. And it might not matter today because none of these people are in positions of power, but maybe it does in five or six or ten years when they grow up to be the Congress people of the future. Well, this is a mini version. What I went through when I was growing up in the 60s and 70s, the Vietnam War era. I mean, then it was huge. You know, a million people for the inauguration of Richard Nixon after he beat George McGovern in 70, uh, 72. I was there for that. A million people. Now, this is before 24-hour cable. I hated Nixon. But then again, Nixon had the silent majority. He, he clobbered McGovern. I think McGovern didn't even win his own state of South Dakota. I think he won Massachusetts instead. He just, he he played the card. He said, look, George Wallace is doing well in the Democratic primary. He's a racist, but he's an FDR Democrat on social issues. You know, he wanted Medicare. He wanted uh, uh, Medicaid. He wanted all these social service programs, increased Social Security. And so he had a following. So he said, I'm going to pimp off of the George Wallace vote. I got the traditional Republican vote, and the Democrats are in disarray because Johnson decided he wasn't going to run. Assassination of RFK, uh, come clean, Gene McCarthy, you know, was the peacenik, and they took it away from him, and they ended up with Ewan Humphrey. And he won in 68, but 72, he, he clobbered. Well, also, another thing happened after 68, there were Democrats said, we're never going to let that happen again of that kind of a, and they, 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 it became the, the the beginning of kind of this primary idea, you know, like that's yeah. how I let the back the back and they chose the worst. We choose the worst possible guy into George McGovern. But but you're right. There was this feeling going into that election. Look at all this energy around the anti-Vietnam War thing. But all those the hippies and everything else, they were not the voters. And if anything, all those hippies animated the real voters because, remember, the because, silent majority, the silent right. majority, because it was also a crime under you know this notion that our our, our country's out of control. If we we need Nixon to kind of keep it under control, um, but yeah, it's a very similar thing. Look, I think it's great these young people they believe in standing up for the oppressed and all these other things, but they've just turned the history of the region on its head and have no acknowledgement whatsoever that part of any poster should be. Release the hostages and well, things now, like that. Now, many of them, I've seen them before because they can just as easily switch the uh, uh, position of this rally with other rallies. 
There are some small hardcore unit there at every rally. Some of them are gay. Some of them are transgenders. Some of them, they're not flying what typically they fly in their demonstrations, which is a gay liberation flag, a transgender flag. And I go up to them and I, hey, what happened? You left your transgender flag at home. Why you started? I said, because there's a part of this group that would not be friendly to your cause. Whereas with the Israeli support Israel parade, you saw transgender flags, you see gay liberation flags. So you see, they're, they're, they're promoting the Palestinian cause, so to speak, of Palestinian people, but not realizing that their cause would not be well accepted oh, yeah. by the Palestinians. Listen, they, all of these people in these marches would be very, very comfortable uh, on the streets of Tel Aviv. They Absolutely. would not be very comfortable on the streets of Gaza. That's, that's the bottom line. And many of these Palestinians that they're standing up for would never in a million years stand up for never. them. For, you know, if you say, let's make this a one-state solution, let's put everyone to decide policies, believe me, you would not have a, tro- a, a pro-LGBTQ um, no. um, government like no. you have in Israel. No, and uh, but notice they, they push all that aside. This is their true belief pattern. And I say to them, but you're marching with people who don't really believe in your your particular cause. They might do harm to you if you were to suddenly pull out your gay liberation flag. Maybe not in the protest, but if you happen to be over there in the Middle East, you ask yourself, where in the Middle East and the Persian Gulf is there acceptability for you, for who you are and what you're proud of? And the answer is Israel, and that's it. Yeah, but I don't know of any other place. But, Curtis, you're putting your finger on a very important thing here. These people that are marching, if you engage them in even a 30-second conversation, it's pretty clear they don't know what the heck is going on in the world. You know, for example, you know, I, I said to this person at Union Square Park, I said, you know, where is Palestine? And they said, well, they, you know, it's, it's the, the, they, they, want, they want Israel wiped out. Now, they don't say that. Well, sometimes they do, but they don't, they might not. So, so what happens to the Israelis? What do you think is going to happen? They go to Boca Raton. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Either or that, they swim across the, uh, the ocean, uh, to America. The other interesting thing is, is that it's a cool look now on campus to have a kafia because you're a rebel. You got a kafia on, you know, and if you're not Arabic to begin with, it's even cooler that you got a kafia. Yeah. Or you got the uh, the towel on your head, the shmata, whatever they call that. Uh, it, it's like cool because now you're part of the dis, uh, the descent, yeah. descent, and and people have social gatherings over it. They they get together. They have begins, teachings. It's almost a throwback to the sixties or seventies. So they'll photobomb that back to mom, uh, you know, who's in uh, East Lansing, Michigan. Oh, my mother, you know, she was one of the leaders of the anti-war movement in Vietnam. She's so proud of me that uh, you know her grandchild is out there, and you know we're carrying on the tradition. But they have seized the momentum, and I say to the Jewish leaders, you made a very serious mistake. You had unity rallies in which there was no unity. In Israel, they have unity now. When normally, when I was there, Anthony, forget being anti-Palestinian, whatever. The biggest battles were between the religious and the secular. Everywhere I went in Israel, from a lot up to the Golan Heights, the battles were between the religious Jews and the secular Jews. If you went there now, although there's a time of unity, there's still these differences are enormous and I don't think there's any understanding whatsoever that they can exist that way, whereas in other countries, no. It's either Hamas way or that's it. You're secular. Well, also, there's also a very strong peace movement in Israel. 
There is not a very strong peace movement among the Palestinians no. because if you decide that you want to do that, you're going to get your hand chopped off by the Hamas. By the by Hamas, I mean, and that's been part of the problem. But I, what I keep wrestling with is, does it really matter? I mean, do the protests really matter here? The fact that they don't get it, there are a lot of knuckleheads there. Well, I, I've spoken to some of the Jewish leaders. They will remain nameless because of what they said to me. You know what my big thing is for the past month. Talk to the evangelical leaders. They could put a million people in the streets of America on a Sunday after service. A million, you know, with Israeli flags yeah. and American flags. That would overwhelm all the pro-Palestinian marches because they're hardcore and they believe in Israel. When Whenever I run into evangelicals, oh, we must save Israel. We must go there. You know, when the Mashiach comes, you know, when the Savior comes, he's coming to Israel. And they make their people learn the Old Testament first before the New Testament. They know the Old well, Testament. You know, yeah, but our... Well, you're afraid of getting converted. No, I know. Our our position with the evangelicals is it's great to have your support up to a point. But they spend money in Israel. <laughs> no, I know, I know, I know, I know. That's what I'm saying. Up to a point. Now... The part about the rapture that you just alluded to, well, the story you have to of the convert rapture. or die, you know. Exactly. <laughs> it doesn't have a happy ending for my team. Let's no, but let's way. face it. The other side doesn't want to have a happy ending for you now. Right. That's what I'm saying. No, it did. In times of crisis, you take your friends wherever you can well, get now, them. Now, up next, I don't think people realize, but the Secretary of General, when I heard his name, Secretary General of the United Nations, I heard his name, I said, that's the Portuguese guy that I was reading about when I was in Madrid. It's not Butros Butroscali no, anymore? No, no, no. He's the leader of the socialists in Portugal. I don't know how he got to be Secretary General of the United Nations. We'll play when we come back what he had to say. But, oh, my God, you, you would have thought that he was, like, sitting on the uh, war council of Hamas. Yeah. Yeah. I thought the United Nations, I understand they're not going to be pro-Israel, but I didn't think they'd be pro-Hamas oh, either. They're the worst. They're the worst. We should talk about this. Yeah, when we come back, it's like, oh, not, not only the resolutions uh, that they pass, basically condemning Israel. But the Secretary of General stood as the leader and said things that, I said, this guy can't. He he is a socialist. Yeah, he's, he sounds just like AOC and the squad. When we return to left versus right, Anthony Weiner, who was fiery. I was able to hear some of your uh, program, again, going to the mat against a lot of the Trumpers. We have no other program like that any time of the day or night here at WABC. It's good to balance out the uh, discussion of so many geopolitical, national, regional, local issues, left versus right. So maybe I, I bring a little balance to it right now, <laughs> Anthony Weiner, right here on your place to be WABC. Hi, it's Ernie Anastas. You know, your thoughts can affect how you feel, and how you feel can impact your thoughts. Addressing your mind and body connection is the key to improving your overall wellness. Bergen Newbridge Medical Center is the largest hospital in New Jersey, providing comprehensive, equitable, compassionate, and high-quality emergency inpatient and outpatient medical care, plus mental health services and substance use disorder treatment. The Bergen Newbridge team can address your total health needs in one convenient location. Call 201-225-7130 for an appointment or newbridgehealth.org. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. 
Assemble the General Assembly. Do they play this song before all the delegates take their seats and begin uh, arguing with one another? Uh, you know, sort of like to try to set the tone. United Nations. Uh, we, unlike nations, we're trying to create peaceful atmosphere for people to resolve their differences. Because uh, about a week ago, the Secretary of General, who doesn't have, um, let's say, the uh, Cachet, the previous Secretary of Generals, we knew something about. Uh, Dag Hammarskjöld probably was the most famous when I was a kid. He, he died in a plane crash, but everybody said Dag Hammarskjöld. Had no idea why he kept saying it, but, oh, he's a very influential person. And we've seen a series of them. Kofi Annan, remember, whether right. we liked him or not. This guy nobody recognized, but then all of a sudden he got up and he spoke to all of the delegations at the General Assembly. And he said the following. It is important to also recognize the attacks by Hamas did not happen in a vacuum. The Palestinian people have been subjected to 56 years of suffocating occupation. They have seen their land steadily devoured by settlements and plagued by violence, their economy stifled, their people displaced, and their homes demolished. Their hopes for a political solution to their plight have been vanishing. I remember years ago, again, when I was a kid, remember, I think it was Abba Eben. Yeah, they used to do those segments on Channel 5. Right, but he was a patrician, you know, very, um, very a wordsmith. Right. You know, he didn't have the accent. But I think I believe at that time of the um, Six-Day War, he was the ambassador to the United Nations, and he would give up and give these eloquent, uh, defenses of the state of Israel, which was also on oh, I was thinking of someone defense. else. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Tall, fit in. He could have lived in the Upper East Side. He would have been perfect. This guy, uh, the Israeli ambassador, got up and he let, he went crazy. He's I want this guy impaled. I want him to resign. What this guy said would in no way, shape, or form ever lead to a peaceful well, situation. But, but you sure you know the history of the United Nations here. I mean, the United Nations had a policy that had been passed equating Zionism and racism up yes. until 1991. Yes. And just in the last year, they did, res, you know, the General Assembly passed one resolution criticizing Iran, one resolution criticizing Syria, one resolution criticizing North Korea, and let's see, 15 criticizing Israel. And okay, none against China, none against Venezuela, none against Saudi Arabia or Cuba or Turkey. It's they exist really just to, you know, if there was if, if, you know, if Algeria introduced a resolution declaring that the earth was flat and that Israel had flattened it, it would pass overwhelmingly. You know, thinking back, the history of the United Nations, first meeting San Francisco, then Lake Success for a long time right there in Long Island, Nassau County by New Hyde Park was the headquarters of the United Nations before right. uh, they built the building here on the Upper East Side off 42nd Street. 
And so a lot of folks where I was by Creedmoor, they know the history. For a long time, the United Nations was there. You know how important Truman was to this overall effort? He pulled the trigger and said, we are going to recognize yeah. Israel. When everybody thought, hey, this guy from Missouri, this Missouri mule, is not necessarily a friend of Jews, which he wasn't. He would say some of them nastiest thing about Jews coming from his background in Missouri, Kansas City, Missouri. But he cast the vote and said, no, we are supporting uh, the right of the first prime minister uh, to actually lead a independent country of Israel. And then all hell uh, broke loose. Uh, Ben-Gurion, all hell broke loose. All the enemies of Israel mounted together, tried to destroy this nation before they could even get going. And they proved that, hey, you know, this were like Mighty Mouse. You remember that cartoon Mighty Mouse, smallest of the small and yet ferocious fighters. Well, but, you know, but another thing about the history, it's somewhat ironic that the United Nations would be such an anti-Israel institution when it was the United Nations sanctioned partition plan at the outset that Israel accepted and the Palestinians and the Arab states did not. You would think that that the U.N. would say, hey, listen, we tried here to make a two-state solution, and that did not go so well, but not because of Israel. Look, there, there is a lot of this history is lost on the people that are protesting. Now. Correct. But there, there is an element, though, of the protest today that maybe you can help me with. I don't understand these videos we keep seeing of people going around tearing down the hostages. Oh, yeah, when we, when we come back. I'm next. Yeah, I, I want to talk about that because I'm puzzled. You know, the, the, I, the way I equated it is if, remember, after September 11th, when we first thought that maybe some people were going to be recovered from the rubble and that they had all the people putting up missing posters. Imagine if someone tried to tear those down, how crazy that would have made us. You know, what I equate this to, I didn't uh, go to college. I got kicked out of high school, Brooklyn Prep, by the Jesuits in my senior year. They kicked me to the curb. I never looked back. But years later, I got invited on the college campuses to lecture. And the students were always proud. They go into the student council area you go into the student lounge they would have the student bulletin board there were so many flyers for so many different activities at times that were at odds with one another Mm -hmm. everybody wanted to put their flyer up everybody put their posters up rarely if ever did i ever hear on a campus even when i was coming and a lot of people not friendly i was debating at the time timothy leary you know was pro-drug pro-lsd and i was uh, opposed to him and uh, let's face it when I spoke at uh, uh, University of Maryland and at Brown, I had like maybe four people supporting me at both. Four thousand people, you know, assembled supporting Timothy Leary. But nobody, nobody ripped the posters down. It was almost like sacred. A poster. Everybody had a right to put up their poster. Now, you take the po- of hostages down. But I don't even and you do it proudly and boldly. But I don't even them. under. By the way, this is where I'm in favor of doxing those people. Like, you know, there's a guy in, in today's paper who's like a Broadway producer. You sent me the clip. You know, I am totally fine doxing these people because then it becomes a question of what exactly are you saying? Are you saying that they're not hostages? Are you saying you don't want your neighbors to know the full damage that's been done? They're, you know, I, I just don't understand. It's so amazing to Anthony, what is. They're not even doing it under the cover of darkness. 100%. They're doing it openly, brazenly, boldly. And people go up to them and say, what are you doing? And by the way, they don't even throw the uh, the poster away in the trash can. They just they want everybody to see that they ripped it down and they put it on the ground. When we come back, I want to play you the audio 
of one of these guys. He looked Middle Eastern, I'm not sure. But he walked around, he was tearing him down, and construction workers surrounded him. They did not strike me as being Jewish. They didn't look Jewish to me. <laughs> and then we could have a larger discussion about this obsession to rip posters down of innocent hostages. What's next? My kitten is missing. Please, if you see my, rip it down. My doggy's missing. It's like, oh my God, this is like almost as America as mom, apple pie, and the flag. A poster right here on your place to be. Left versus right. It's Anthony Weiner and Curtis Lee. Versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. Richie Havens here, who uh, did all the jingles. Remember Amtrak, Folgers? He did? I didn't know that. That's that's wild. But he was also featured, you know, Woodstock, and this was his song, Freedom. Yeah. And as I said, I never went to college, but I have given speeches at colleges, and I always marveled. You go into the student lounge, and this is before the Internet. They'd have the student bulletin board and festooned. I would stand there. I was like, wow, look at this. All of these groups supporting this cause, that cause, sometimes at odds with one another, side by side. When I spoke at Concordia College in Montreal uh, for the Jewish kids who were coming under attack, uh, the Palestinian kids were bringing in a Middle East professor from across town, McGill University. Our flyers were side by side. Nobody ever told me that anybody had pulled down one fly or the other fly. And now, for the first time, people... Boldly, proudly, brazenly, in broad daylight, just go around and they pull down these posters of hostages. Nobody argues. They are real hostages who are being held by Hamas, the ruling government of Gaza and the biggest terrorist organization there. And it's almost as if we would uh, uh, be gathering up. Remember the old... uh, Milk cartons, when we put missing people on the side of the... No, we don't want you to see that. We're taking all the Elmwood uh, milk cartons out. I I don't understand for the life of me. I I really don't get it either. Because the way I see it, again, getting back to the 9-11 analogy, when you had those pictures up everywhere and people having little notes, you know, if you see this person lost on September 11th, no one would interpret that as being in favor of the war in Iraq or in favor of the war in Afghanistan. It was about as nonpartisan an appeal to humanity as you can imagine. Now, I can't, and this is why, look, I do believe that we have a problem with free speech in that there's a lot of anti-Semitism, a lot of hate speech, but I don't have a problem with someone standing with a poster that says Free Palestine in, in Union Square Park. That's, the, that's if you're a college kid holding up a poster, 
as wrong and dumbheaded as it might be, I feel you. But this going around, and it's a systematic thing, going around and tearing down posters of hostages can only be a couple of things. One, they don't believe that they're real hostages and they're trying to stamp out disinformation. Maybe there are people that believe that, that Hamas could not have possibly done it because they're so amazing. Or the other thing is just they're so concerned that this this idea would emerge that there's these inhumane acts have been committed against Israel. They're so concerned about that fact that they want to make sure no one hears it. But I am puzzled by it, and I think we should dox every last one of them. If you now see, explain for those in our audience who don't know what doxing is. I think that that it is perfectly reasonable that if you see someone doing this, to 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 take a picture of them, to post it up on the internet, you know this person. This person is tearing down posters so that. When he goes to work, his coworkers know he's doing it. When he goes for a job interview, his job, an employer knows they're doing it, that their friends know that they're in favor of having hostages and they're denying the humanity of those people that are there. There are 20 children and babies that are being held hostage. These people are tearing down the pictures of babies that are held hostage. It's insane to me. And I'm looking at them when they're being videoed. And normally, you know, it's like when you're being arraigned. Some people, they try to cover their face. No, they continue going. They look at the camera, just start ripping them down, throwing them on the ground. And I'm saying to myself, wow, they don't mind being seen. They might as well uh, film themselves. They might as well, you know, uh, do a selfie of themselves and blast it out. But in your old congressional district of Forest Hills, not far from where you lived on Austin Street, right? I think it was 108th. This guy, he's just walking like he, he... you know, like a normal day. It's a beautiful day. He looked a little Middle Eastern, but it's hard to tell there because some are Russian, you know, some are Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan. doesn't matter. He's ripping these posters off of the utility poles. And then he gets surrounded by construction workers who I think were Verizon installers. Why do you rip it off? Why do you rip it off? Why do you rip it off? Put it back. Why do you rip it off? Put it back. Well, show me what you're holding. So, yeah, keep it on. No, what are you doing? You know where they are right now? Do you have any idea where they are right now? All right. I'm a veteran. I'm telling you. All right. Don't rip up. I'm not Jewish. He's not Jewish. I don't know if he is or not. It doesn't matter. This is the U.S. This is New York City. You don't have a right to touch that. This is a free country. You can wave your Palestine flag and say death to the Jews or America whenever you want. But we can put a Then don't rip that down. You are doing something. You're offending us. Yeah, you are. When you throw that on the floor, you're littering the city. In a minute, I'm going to litter the floor with you. So move the on. Do you have proof they're not kidnapped? No. So shut the. I know that's what you want. Go away. Welcome, welcome, welcome guys, to New York, pal. Those guys had to be from Howard Beach, right? Yeah, that, that's not the way people in Forest Hills talk. I don't know. I don't know. A little Regal but Park in there, but yeah. Notice the guy said, I don't <laughs> care if you're pro-Palestinian. I don't care if you're pro-Hamas. You have a right to be. Leave the flyer up on the pole. This is free speech. Hey, that guy, and we're going to find out who it is. It's just a matter of time. That guy did an excellent job making the case for all of New York. You know, the, you don't have any right to, to shut someone else up, that he's committing an act, a, a dishonorable act, and that he's right. If the guy wants to wave his, he wants to put up his own poster, more power to him. I wouldn't like it, but more power to him. And the thing is, and I just want to return to this, 
These posters don't say Israel is great, the Palestinians are bad. It is a poster that said, you know, is hostage and has a picture of someone and their name. They're real people. You know, I saw a video of one of these things where the guy goes, goes up to the, oh, it might have been here, here in, uh, in, uh, down by NYU where the guy says, I know that person. I know the person that you're tearing down that poster of. You know, it's not that these people don't exist, but it is really puzzling for me. Well, they had the video of a black woman, it turns out, transgender, who demanded that you refer to her by her, what do they call that? You know, Pronoun? Or pronoun. Whatever, yeah. Boldly, brazenly tearing it down. She was the president of the um, legal students uh, uh, club. Uh, and she had no problem. Her and her fellow students, it went all through the surrounding areas in Greenwich Village, Bleecker Street, uh, along, um, uh, Houston Street, just tearing down the, I'm like, well, you're educated, right? You, 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 you or your parents are paying close to $80,000 a year. It's like Frank Morano, the Mamaluke, right? Who his, his family had to pay like 55000 back then to turn him into a violet. Why don't you just let people be heard and and seen and you put a poster up, you put your poster up. You know, the only time it used to get a little difficult if you tried to put your poster over another poster because you were running out of room on a telephone poster. Well, then there's the other poster thing, which you, happens a couple of days before your election. You go out late at night and tear the other guy's posters exactly, up. Exactly. You know, and or you, you get fined for having posters up well, but, on those uh, public polls. So if you were to send – if not that I would ever do this, but if you're a politician, you're sending your kids out to go put up polls – to put up posters – you want to make sure they're actually doing them and not dumping them. So you'd also say to them, hey, exactly. I want you to bring back. <laughs> if you see any, you know, I, here's a little bounty. We'll give you a bucky for any poster you bring back. people get very upset when they see a poster <laughs> on a tree, and rightfully so, because you're staple, putting oh, staples into a tree. Come tree, on. The tree can't tell no, you. No, you got to leave the tree alone. But there's so many places you can put up posters. Uh, the old lady sometimes will go up and down a block and pull every poster down. They don't want to see anything up there. You know, rooms for rent, tutoring, all those things where you pull off the little uh, sticker, uh, missing cat, missing dog, a uh, uh, guy with Alzheimer's. He yeah. hasn't been seen in 10 days. I get that. These are eccentric old ladies. Nobody's going to get upset at them. These are mostly college students. Yeah. I get it. I, I totally and, – and it's their way of doing – I guess it's their way of acting out on something. But, it, look, I do get the idea. There are some tough calls. Someone holds up a, a swastika walking through Stokey, Illinois. I get that's a tough call. This is not a tough one. These are host- these are pictures of people who have been missing, who were missing or have been taken hostage. I don't believe it's, it's, a very, it's a very tough call here. And to have it go on in New York City of all places, you know, we have a certain tradition here, like you said, of like – we we have a lot of speech going on. Bohemian. It's a bohemian yeah. area. You went to, when I was a kid, you went to Washington Square Park. They'd have speakers there with a soapbox or Union Square Park. Whatever the something Now, didn't mean they were always met and greeted well. People would want to cross-examine them. That was the whole point of the soapbox. But almost anything went. Now it's almost like people are afraid to give their opinion. What? Yeah, but this is something even more pernicious. This is people on the left who have just lost their bearings a little bit. Like these are lefties. What a, what do lefties believe if not graffiti and posters and signs and and shouts and everything else and chants and music and poetry and everything else? These are lefties. Lefties are taking down free speech. It makes it 
It, it's now, mind-boggling. Sometimes uh, I understand if it's a bunch of kids on their own, misguided. But sometimes they are accompanied by adjunct professors, teachers, counselors, uh, adults who are actually almost like encouraging them to do that by participating themselves. And I'm saying to myself, I thought the whole point of going to a campus, going beyond high school, was to be exposed to different ideas. Because now you're at a point where you can digest it and begin to think and sort it out for yourself. It's almost like they're creating a college campus where you're either with them or against them. And if you're against them, shut your mouth. Uh, don't express yourself, and there's a price to pay if all of a sudden you're going to denounce what we're doing. And they're not necessarily the majority. You know, you gen- gen- most students are apathetic and indifferent, I think, in many ways. That's the biggest problem, I think, not only in society, uh, like we see with the early voting, apathy and indifference on college campuses, ap- apathy and indifference. So small, hardcore groups can dominate on a campus, uh, a campus because people don't want to get involved. Yeah, that's not for me. Yeah, I don't deal with politics. Yeah, you, you know, no, 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 no. I'm concentrating on my engineering, my, my chemistry, my mathematics classes. Uh, I don't want to deal with that at all. And that's a big mistake because when you let a small percentage of people dominate the discussion, then what they try to do is squash all discussion. Yeah, I don't have, by the way, and again, I don't mind people being wrong on college campuses. You know, I had this conversation. This guy, Bill Ackman, this hedge fund guy, said we anyone who signed these letters were going to against against Israel. We're going to make sure that any future employer knows they did it. I don't have a problem with someone having that information and being asked about it at a job interview. It's part of growing up is you kind of learn what you believe and everything else. Yeah, like what were you hitting that bong for in Fort Lauderdale? <laughs> exactly. You know, because they go through all of your social networking. Right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> But it is, and and I also get that people have every right to be wrong about stuff, and I do think that there is this concern about people not listening to other people on campus. I don't think that a conservative, a conservative that goes on campus, should be hounded out of the hall. No, I don't believe. I I believe that if you want to interrogate them, I believe you want to stand up, and I believe if you want to have your own whatever, I don't believe. But Anthony, this is when when I debated Timothy Leary. As you know, he was not only a guru of LSD, but they loved him on college campuses. 4,000 people would show up. I'd have four people saying anything nice about me. Once we finished the debate, there was the Q&A section. But even though they unloaded on me, they were respectful. They wanted to hear what I had to say. Naturally, I tried to talk my way out of it by being funny, and they'd shut me down. But I remember standing there in Brown University, Abby Hoffman, the yipster, yeah. and uh, Timothy Leary on one side, me and Peter Benzinger, who had been the head of the DEA for Carter, whose two sons were going to Brown, and he goes, Curtis, don't embarrass me. My sons are there. Right away, I got into it with Abby Hoffman of the yipsters. He left the stage. It was me, Abby Hoffman, and Timothy Leary, and then the kids started asking questions. They were like dropping verbal napalm on me. I had to take it. But they allowed me to answer. See, that was the difference. So that's the other thing. Look, we have a proud tradition of the town hall meeting. And I heard you and Sid talking about the the, the ones that, that you did in Brooklyn and Queens. And that tradition is you get chippy, you get loud, you use some salty language. 
But if you're ever in one of those things and someone tries to shout down the speakers, the whole room turns against yes. them, no matter what position By they're the in. By the way, our two town hall meetings about the tents they're putting up in Floyd Bennett Field, none of the politicians showed up. I yeah. wonder why. Because I was in the room. I wonder why. I, I don't but know. that's the whole concept but of I a town hall meeting. I have to tell you, so when, when Obamacare was, was on the docket, Nancy Pelosi sent around a memo to all of us. Don't do town hall meetings because a bad visual of us getting yelled at and, and people are getting chased out of town hall meetings. And I'm like, if this is, if this, if you're only going to do town hall meetings when everyone agrees, what's the point of a and, town hall meeting? By the way, remember the Tea Party was using the methods that I grew up with that I was taught by my father, Saul Alinsky, rules for radicals. When the Tea Party went in there and disrupted those meetings about Obamacare, was straight out of Saul Alinsky, yeah. rules for radicals. Oh, Saul Alinsky, rules for radicals. Let me tell you something. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff in there that works out huge had, for 69 but here, years. But here's what I learned in that process, is that people might disagree with you on stuff, but there's a fundamental American yeah. thing about listening to each exactly. other. Even if you yell a little bit, even if you don't like what the guy's saying. even if, And by the way, that's what talk radio is all well, about. up next, speaking of town hall meetings, we got three issues on the table. Eric Adams, fly them away to wherever they want to go, the migrants, put them in their own private little Boy Scout or Girl Scout tent in a park near you, or since you won't let me put it in brick and mortar locations anymore because fire marshals come in and vacate, I got to put them in the big tents now like Creed Moore and Floyd Benefield. We're going to deal with all three options on the Chinese menu with Anthony Weiner on the left. Yours truly, Curtis Lee, on the right. Right here, your place to be, WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. Well, 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 our colleague, uh, Sid Rosenberg, it's his re-education. He has rally fever. First time he's ever been involved in demonstrations or town hall meetings. And tomorrow he's joining uh, quite a few Jews and Gentiles at 3 o'clock. They expect inclement weather. But be there at Cooper Square, New York. The group Never Again is now... All they're going to do is distribute thousands of flyers of the Israeli hostages to plaster the city so that they can replace all the ones right that were Right in front of down. Cooper Union, the most liberal institution in America, where Abe Lincoln gave a speech. Good for him. By the way, you're, you're, you're the, the, the dealer of this drug. You're the one that got him to do his first rally. Yeah. Now, now we can't get enough of him. No, no, he's going to be the keynote speaker. Never again is now just to replace all the posters. That were torn down. So please, if you can, show up. Uh, give support to Sid and the Jews and Gentiles there. I'm going to have some guardian angels there just to make sure that when people go about putting up the posters, nobody's going to be hassling them. I'll be out in Midland Beach, another rally to prevent the migrants from being brought out to Staten Island. But on that issue, the mayor now has a three-pronged program. One, uh, if he runs out of space, which he is. Uh, I'm going to give uh, little, like, Boy Scout, Girl Scout tents, and you go into a park, and you basically cop a squat. And for yourself. 
uh, because there have been eight locations that have been uh, ordered to vacate. These are brick-and-mortar facilities that were never devised to house people overnight. They're fire traps. The fire marshals and wardens went in and shut them down. So now he's saying, because of that, i got to put them in the El Grande tents, like where I was at Creedmoor today. They want to put more tents uh, on that area, which is a state uh, psychiatric facility. And naturally, the really big one, Floyd Benefield, they got four tents up on runway 19, and they got another three tents that are there that they're going to put up. That could house as many as 7,000. And the newest plan is basically to do an Expedia and say, I tell you what, we'll fly you anywhere in the United States you want to go one way. You want to go to Oahu, Maui, Hawaii, we'll fly you there. You just, you can't come back. Uh, Anthony, that's, that's going to cost a lot we, of money. We love it. That's the best idea. It was an idea that uh, Bloomberg tried. I think Giuliani tried it. Everyone tries when they run it because they do the math and they say, listen, it costs us $380 for one day. We'll put you on a plane. Love the idea. So let me get this straight. We will pay. Hey, if someone can pay for someone to come to New York, we can pay to have them go back. But I don't understand this. Uh, when they cross the border in Texas, they get on a Greyhound and they come to whatever city they want to go. But we're going to upgrade that to an air flight. flight. By the way, how long before someone figures this racket out? Shows up and says, oh, yeah, I'm an immigrant. I, I, yeah, I speak broken English. I How are they going to prove that I'm not? And and I said, you know, I, I, I'll pay to, I'll pay to come back from my own vacation. Send me to Hawaii. I think it's a great idea. Now, I could see some of them who are astute saying, I want to go to Maui because I understand that Oprah is there, The Rock is there, and uh, Barack Obama is there. Correct. And they want us to come to Maui, which is like paradise before that fire. Someone's got to pick the pineapples. Imagine you come to America and the next stop we're paying for you to go to Maui. Uh, which there Look, is the a- whole thing doesn't make any sense. You got governors of Texas paying for them to come to New York. Why should we have the mayor of New York paying for you to go to to Chicago or something? I think it's a great idea. Yeah, we'll have to bring back the old People Express, People Distress, oh, yeah, right. nineteen ninety nine. You could almost fly anywhere. It just would take you forever uh, to actually board the flight and go. And the pilot would actually be processing your luggage, yeah. and then would be coming down the aisle with the generic peanuts and cola, and you'd say. Who's piloting the plane? <laughs> hey, this is no frills airline. Anyway, it's been great. Uh, I really enjoyed listening to your uh, battles and bouts with a lot of our callers, many of them identifying themselves as pro-Trumpers. It's that period of time at WABC when you actually do hear the other side complete, not pretend, you know, just to try to make sure that everything's balanced. So I applaud you for that. Continue it. I know I've talked to Trumpers out in the streets. They enjoy, they relish getting into the ring, but they say, you know, Anthony's, uh, I disagree with him, but he's always respectful. And, yep, your voice needs to be heard.